You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Thank you, Todd. Hey, good morning. It's great to see you today. If you've got your Bibles, go to uh, Micah chapter 6. Uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of Micah. We, we've been looking at it over the last several weeks. And this morning, uh, Micah chapter 6, so it, it has one of what we might call the famous uh, verses in it, the Old Testament verses. It's a great uh, bumper sticker verse. You might have a t-shirt uh, that has it on it, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And it, so it's a fantastic verse. Oftentimes, however, the verse gets kind of pulled out of context and um, then applied And the truth is there's great application, even when we do that with Micah chapter 6, verse 8. But there is going to be something I think we see this morning, hopefully with a depth of seeing it in its context, that will be really fruitful for us. Well, I'll start this way. Uh, Conan O'Brien, the late night guy, um, it's always good to start with some Conan O'Brien. And he's he's an incredibly funny guy. Um, But what I want to read is, it was, a, it was a very moving moment on, on his show. I, I mean, I guess I didn't see it. I just read about it. Um, but it was, it was the first night that the show went back on the air after 9-11 in 2001. And so he came on the show, and this is, this is what he said. It was a couple of days after uh, the fall of the, of the uh, World Trade Center. He said, I don't exactly know how we're going to do this thing, meaning go on with the show. But we're going to try to do it. That's what a lot of people here feel is right. It's the right thing to do is, is to get back and to try our hardest to move forward and to make sense of our lives at a time when absolutely nothing makes sense. He goes on and says this, I don't talk about these things on the air, but I was raised Catholic. And today I did what I haven't done, since the first show when I went on the air uh, aired September of 1993. He said, I just felt like I needed someone. I needed something. I needed help. So I went across the street to St. Patrick's Cathedral, and I sat there for a bit. I'm glad I did. Sitting there, I felt, this is such a beautiful place. He, He goes on to talk about how, how sitting there and being quiet and in the midst of all the aesthetics, um, it was peaceful to him. Uh, there was a great comfort for him. You know, it's not unlike many of us experienced after that day. I uh, remember, you, you probably do, you remember where you were and you remember some or much of the days that followed, but you know, churches were open. There were lots of people that, that not knowing where to go and not knowing what to do in the midst of a time where there didn't seem to be any answers and, and, we, and we don't know what to do. There are lots of people that just came to churches and churches were open and people prayed, I mean, uh, for nights in a row. And you'd come and you'd pray and somebody would speak a word of hope and encouragement and read from the Bible, and 
and you, and you prayed. It was a short-lived thing. It was a good thing, but in many ways it was a short-lived thing. We all got on with our lives. But you know, you, you have these times in your life. So we experienced one all together in September of 2001. But we experience them also individually or in our family or in our small circles. And there are those times that we come and we say, I, I just don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so we, we seek, like what Conan O'Brien did, something that's familiar. So something that, you know, as, as he grew up in, a, in, a, in, in the Catholic Church, it would have been familiar. It would have been peaceful. It would have been part of the ritual, just, just something or some help. And the reality is we, we're not really much different. I mean, if you grew up in the South or you grew up in East Texas or you've grown up around the church, I mean, there are things about coming to church that, that feel good or peaceful, that, that it's just, just not right if I'm not there, if I'm not going through, at least going through the, the motions. You know, the, the reality is Micah writes to a people that knew this experience very well. They um, were religious people, but, you know, they had busy lives. And their life was full of all kinds of things, and, and yet they knew that when the Sabbath came around, they would head to the synagogue, they would head to the gathering, they would, during the yearly feast, make the sacrifices. They went through all of the motions, and, and when times of, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do, and, and there doesn't seem to be any answers, that was the place that they would go, and they would look for the answers. And yet, the reality is what they had done, like what we all do, is that we take the ritual, and we think somehow the ritual and the motion and the thing that we're doing is equal to a relationship with the living God. We can go through it all. And here's the deal. When, when ritual is what we are doing, we will find ourselves at, at best disappointed. But we may become discouraged and disillusioned even. Then when what we're after is relationship... But what we pursue is ritual. Now, you call it anything you want, but it's the stuff we do, the religious stuff we do. We will find ourselves disappointed, discouraged, and disillusioned. And maybe that's where you are this morning. See, that's where the people of God were. And so Micah, he's going to have this... Um, scene. It actually is, it's a courtroom scene. And what God's going to do is he's going to call all of creation to be the jury. And then he's going to ask Israel to plead her case before the jury. And then God's going to take the role of the prosecuting attorney. And he's going to unravel the case. And see, their case against him, they, they've come to him, they're angry with him, they're, they're blaming him, they're shaking their fists at him, and said, we've gone through all these things, we've been doing all of these things, and yet it feels like such a weary thing, God. It's such a burden. And things don't seem to be changing. Look with me. I'm going to read beginning verse 1 of chapter 6, and then we'll make our way through the, through the text. The first five verses of Micah chapter 6 say this. Hear what the Lord says. Now, here's the Lord's indictment, His, his calling. 
Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, and that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. So what God does is He summons the the court, the the heavens and the earth, the hills and the mountains. Those are going to serve as the jury, and they're going to hear the testimony that God provides. In Israel, they're challenged to present their testimony before the jury. And here's what we see is that this accusation that these people of God have made the accusation against God. Look, this is weary. This is burdensome. What are we supposed to do? you see here in a minute. And they've moved the accusation has moved the relationship into the courtroom. And now this is where the grievance will be settled. You know, what they knew is this. They, they knew that immorality was a problem. I mean, they, they, they looked around. I mean, they knew these things about their lives. They knew the things they were doing wrong. In fact, most, most people know the things they're doing wrong, honestly. I mean, they do wrong long enough. They get to a place. They've, they've worked themselves into a hole, a cul-de-sac they can't get out of. And, you know, it's not very often that we have to say to folks, hey, did you know you're wrong? Because when people get to that place, most likely they do. I mean, there's still excuses to be made and things to rationalize, but most people know they're wrong. They knew that sin was a problem. They knew that immorality was the problem. Here's the thing, though. With immorality being a problem, not just a personal problem, but also a national problem, they thought that morality was the answer. Listen, we've just got to clean some things up. We've just got to do some different things. We've got to begin to check our lists and go to the, uh, to the church meetings and, 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 and live right and, and, and fly straight and all those things that we say. But the problem is they were replacing this relationship that God had invited them into with a ritual. They had sought to answer the problem of their immorality and their sin with morality and things that they could do. And it never works. Well, God, we've been doing these things. We've been going through the motions. And I hadn't missed church in six weeks, and nothing seems to be better in my life. Or three weeks, or whatever it is. I mean, good for you. You're on a roll. Look at what he says, and Four and five, you know, he, he brings them up. He, these are the evidences of his grace. In verse four, he reminds him, hey, look, how have I wearied you? This is what the, how the, the argument goes. Just to be clear, how is it that I wearied you? In verse four, it's a, 
What was it that time that when you were in slavery that I redeemed you? That when you were in years and generational slavery that I came and liberated you? Was that the weary part? Was it weary when I brought you to the sea and parted the Red Sea and you walked across it and then I closed the sea upon your enemies? Was that what was so weary and burdensome? Oh, maybe it was the time he goes on to say, listen, I gave you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. What was it? The time that I provided you leadership and my word while you wandered in the wilderness? Was that the weary part? Or would you have rather left me, uh, had me leave you like sheep without a shepherd? He goes on and says, you remember, you remember when uh, Balak, the king of Moab, he had a plan against you. Was, was the weary time when he had paid the prophet Balaam to speak curses to you? And yet on the road, when he wouldn't listen to me, I spoke to his donkey, and then his donkey spoke to him. And then for the next four chapters, he issues not cursings, but blessings, in fact, messianic blessings. Was that the time I was weary to you? Or maybe it was the time... When you came to Shittim and Gilgal and all the time in between. And yes, I realize the Bible has these very awkward names of places for pastors to say. But was it that time when the new generation was coming under Joshua's leadership and I parted the Jordan at the, at the flood season to remind you that I've never left you and I never forsake you? Was that what was weary? You see, what, what they didn't realize and what Micah is speaking, these, these words of God to, to the people of God, is that when you're engaged in, in, in ritual, when you have replaced religion and the stuff for, for what God really desires, and that is a relationship, what happens is that ritual, it will, it will callous your heart towards God. It, it'll, it'll callous your heart towards God. It'll corrupt the relationships that you have with others. So relationships built on obligation bring dissatisfaction, disappointment, disillusionment. And some of you this morning, I, I would say, some of you this morning may need to change how you think about and how you engage in your relationship with God. See, if you find yourself this morning and you... And, and just below the surface, maybe you'd never say it out loud, but just below the surface there are these accusations that you might have towards God. Well, where are you? Well, why have you left me? Well, why don't I feel your presence more than I do? Well, what about all these things I've done, and yet this seems to be where I am? Or maybe it's just the disappointment or the general disillusionment that you have. Look, I'm here. And I'm doing the right thing. I guess it's the right thing, but you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this. 
What difference does it really make anyway? See, accusation moves relationship from where it ought to be into a courtroom. I mean, we know this in our own lives, don't we? We can go from the bedroom to the courtroom in an evening in our marriage. We can go from the living room to the courtroom in an afternoon in our family. We can go from the sanctuary or our small group to the courtroom. And we say things like, well, I don't know. I mean, what else do you want me to do? Or so I've heard people say things like that. I mean, I've been doing, I mean, I don't know what else you want me. Just tell me what to do. You ever said something like that? This is where the people are with God. Just tell me what to do. Well, that's about, that is going to be what happens here next. Look at what Micah does. In in verse 6, he's going to speak for the worshiper, this one who continues to try to come to God. Listen Listen to what he says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Just tell me what to do. I mean, is it burnt offerings? Then fine. Stoke the fire and I'll bring the offerings. Maybe it's not just one ram or two rams. Maybe it's thousands of rams. Or 10,000 rivers of oil. You know King Ahaz, one of the kings when Micah's writing, you know King Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 16, he sacrificed a his son on the altar. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. Just tell me what to do. And maybe, maybe that's how you kind of approach this deal. I, I, listen, I want to, I want to know God better. I, I want to, want a deeper relationship with Him. I, I, I want my life to go better. Just tell me what to do. Listen, God doesn't want payment or appeasement. That's one of the things we're going to find out. He he doesn't want payment or appeasement. In fact, there's nothing we could pay Him. There's nothing we could appease Him with. It's like saying to your wife in the middle of a fight, "What? look, you, you want diamonds? Will that fix it? Oh, maybe it might. But God can't be bought with diamonds or burnt offerings or rams or oil. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need yours. God doesn't want payment or appeasement. It's not what restores relationships. So I think there are people that have gone through the Christian life. They show up at the Christian church. They've gone through all of the motions, 
but have never stepped into a, a real relationship with God. There are folks that, listen, you, you made a profession of faith. Maybe it was 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 2 years ago. And yet life has happened and you... You don't feel the joy of any relationship. It's just a burden, just something that's weary for you. And that all that the Christian life has been is a, the activity of attending some meetings on a weekly basis. Well, what does the Lord require? Verse 8, He's told you, O oh man. He's told you, O oh man. Not one man, all of us. He's told you, mankind what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now, Martin Luther had a way, sometimes he would, well, sometimes he would say things that were incredibly complicated and were no help. There were other times he would say something that really brought it home, that really made it simple. He translates this verse. He, he translates it this way. Oh man, what, what's good and what does the Lord require of you but to keep God's word? That's the way he says it. To keep God's word. You know, one quick aside, this, this verse is, is used, it's, it's pulled out, and, and it's used and applied in, in so many different ways, and, and a lot of those ways are related to social justice. And, and actually, that's not a bad application, but there's, there's more here. There's something vastly deeper here in this context that God is saying to His people who seem to be so wearied with Him because they've gone through all of the motions and it hasn't produced any change or joy or satisfaction. To say do justice, well, they would have known what he was talking about. If you've been here for the study, you know, they've, they've talked about this. There were religious leaders, I mean, they, they stole people's land, they preyed upon the weak, they took the widow and they, they evicted her out into wherever and they took her land and they were aggrandizing themselves and making themselves rich and they weren't caring for the poor. And so there's a sense in which do justice means don't do all of that stuff that you've been doing. See, if anything, here's what you need to know. God is not impressed in any way with our sincerity of beliefs about social justice. If we took a poll, everybody here would probably score pretty well on social justice. I mean, at least you're for what's fair, however you define fair. That those that can't take care of themselves ought to, ought to help that. We, the strong ought to help the weak. I mean, we would probably all get that. The reality is, though, it is not our belief about social justice. The prophets did not show up and just give a theory about social justice. They walked the streets of Israel, and they walked the streets of Judah, and they were horrified by what they saw. And they said, listen, either start doing justice, either start living out this justice that we know from God, or stop calling yourself the people of God. And the way we know justice, what is just? From God's perspective, is through God's Word. 
What's required of you? What is good? Doing God's Word. Well, let's look at this to love kindness phrase. The Hebrew word is kesed. It, it's um, often translated, maybe it's translated in your uh, translation, loving kindness. It, it's, a, it's a word that means loyal love. It, the idea is um, behind it is love, but it's a fidelity. It's a faithfulness. It is a covenantal love. It's, it's, um, it's the kind of love that a covenant-keeping God would show. It is, it is a faithfulness despite the faithlessness of His people. It's an unconditional love. It is a loyal love. It is a love that says, I love you. Nothing can snatch you out of my hands. Nothing can separate you from my love. Brings to mind the kind of covenantal love, the Abrahamic covenant, and the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. He is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his people, even when they are not faithful to him. That kind of love. And so to love kindness, or to love loving kindness, or to love mercy, to, to love the loyal love of the Lord God, to love the love that says, He will not let me go, to love that He loves us with a faithful, enduring, unending, everlasting love. What's required of you? To love that. And not just be a recipient of that love, but to love others in light of it. That's what Jesus says in the New Testament. Now, how will they know that you're my disciples? By your love for one another. This is the greatest commandment, that, that you will um, love one another as I have loved you, that you'll love. Listen, your, your commitment to God, your commitment to His Son, Christ is the receiving of that everlasting love. And when we believe that, then we do that. Well, and finally, the easy one, right? Walk humbly with your God. Actually, if if you get the first two, and you realize that God is, is uh, the author of justice. In fact, He is both, as Romans chapter 3 says, just and justifier. That, that we've been brought upon cosmic trial for our rebellion against the high king. And yet one took our place, was was given our sentence, and our death was executed on Him. He's both the just and the justifier. And then when we understand His loving kindness, His everlasting, loyal, enduring, unending love, then really walking humbly is, is the 
the outflow of that. It's, it's actually the, the spiritual health. It, it's, it's a measure of our spiritual health. Are we, are we walking humbly with, with God or not? And walking humbly with God simply says, you know what? It's almost, I, I almost can't believe it. I believe, but I, help me with my unbelief. Because I know me, I'm a sinner, and my heart, as Jeremiah says, is more wicked than I can possibly imagine. And I know, I mean, I know, I know better than anyone. The sin and rebellion and the... And, and yet, God loves me. And made the way and satisfied justice for me. Nothing other than a posture of humility as grace works itself out. Well, so, so, so in verse 8, it says this is what God requires. And then, and then in 9 through 16, if, if you decide that if you decide that's not the way you want to go, you want to continue in the ritual, you want to continue in the religion, you, you want to continue just the same old thing that you've been doing, which lots of people do. Then 9 and through 16, God is going to spell out those consequences. The voice of the Lord Christ to the city and its sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that's accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with bag of deceitful waste? So if you continue to walk in injustice, this is what you can expect. Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I'll strike you a grievous blow, make you desolate because of your sins. Look at this, 14 through 6. You, you shall eat, but you won't be satisfied. And there'll be hunger within you, and you, you'll put away, but, it, but not preserve. And what you do preserve, I'll give to the sword, and you'll sow, but you won't reap, and you'll tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You'll tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you've kept the statutes of Omri, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you've walked in their counsel, that I may make you a desolation, your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. You continue to go through the motions, and here's what you can count on. You'll be hungry and never satisfied. You'll reap and you'll never sow. Oh, you'll tread the uh, olives, but you won't be any oil to anoint with. You, 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 you'll crush the grapes, but there won't be any wine to drink. It will be futility. In fact, there's a sense in which God says, you treat me like an enemy when you go through the motions. And you don't know me. He wants more for his people. Not to just show up and have the right answers and wear the right t-shirts and have the right bumper sticker on your car and vote for the right candidate. It's not 
He wants you. He, he, he wants you. So, so how do we do Micah 6, 8? So th this, let me tell you, I wrestle with this. I, I wrestle with this all the time. I really want to be practical. Um, I really want to help us apply God's Word. And I, I realize I, I struggle with that often. And part of why I struggle with it is this, is, is because it, at the end of the day, you, you are probably like me in a lot of ways, and in some ways I hope you never are like me, but we come to the end and we say, okay, that's great, but so how do we do it? What do we do? So, okay, well, I see how it is. So we'll do justice. Well, tell me, how the, well, tell me what to do, and I'll do the justice. And then the, to love the kindness thing, tell me, tell me how to feel about that, and I'll go feel that way and then walk humbly. Well, I'll probably do really good at that. Um. So what do I do? And, and I wrestle with this. I think, man, I really want to be applicational. And, you know, so the 20 or 30 or 40 sermons you come in here, and I give two or three applications, and you walk out the door, and you say, okay, I have two or three things. You do that 20 or 30. And just, now we're at 100, 120 things you're supposed to do every year. How are you doing with that? I'm not doing very well, and I'm the one that preaches them. What do we do? Let me help us this morning. Instead of what to do, let me help us press in on who to be. Okay? Let me try that this morning. Lord, I pray you'd help me do this this morning. That this is not, this is not a law that I'm laying on you. This is not legalism. This is not a list. I pray the Lord would use this to draw us. The first thing I'd say, and how, how do we live out Micah 6.8? We have to get alone with God. Get alone with Him. Whether it's a, a time early in the morning, a time that is quiet. We call them quiet times. That doesn't mean anything anymore. Let's say it this way. A time in which we're quiet. Maybe it's a first hour. Maybe it's your best hour. It's what changes our perspective. Listen, if we can take a cue from anyone, let's take a cue from Jesus. The eternal Son of God, who never knew what it was like to not be God, even when He became man, He never ceased being God. And you know what He did? Mark chapter 1, 35 to 37, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said, Everybody's looking for you. Won't you keep a calendar? It's as though Jesus says, Look, I've, I've been found this morning by the only one that really matters. That Jesus sought relationship, communion, time alone with the Father. If we can take a cue, let's take a cue from Him. Does it mean you have to get up before dark? But you've got to find some time alone. Listen to Andrew Bonner, he's an old Scottish preacher. In order to grow in grace, 
we must be much alone. It's not in society that the soul grows most vigorously. In one single quiet hour of prayer, it will often make more progress than in the days of company with others. It's in the desert that the dew falls freshest and the air is purest. doesn't mean we're not to be with others. We are to be. But we have to find time alone with God. Listen, we won't find the time to spend. We have to make the time. Second thing I'd say, not only, not only alone with Him, alone with Him, but that we would listen to Him. The, and I will tell you, the, the only reliable, trustworthy, sure way to hear God is from His Word. that we would meditate upon His Word. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but you know, there's some mornings I, I get up and I think, okay, I'm all set. I know these four chapters I'm supposed to read or whatever my plan tells me to read that day. And I get in there and here I am and I'm alone and I'm doing the thing and I'm in the blue chair and I open the Bible and I read a few verses, and I think, I have no idea what that means. I don't know. And I find myself disappointed. I, thought, well, I came here because I was going to have a moment. Man, I was going to hear the heavens break open. I, my expectation was I was going to get up out of the blue chair, walk into the kitchen, and I would be so radiating with the Shekinah glory that Leslie would say, hey, look, you've got to veil yourself. You, you can't be in here this early. <laughs> and yet there I sit, and I've got two or three verses I'm wrestling with, and I don't know what it means, and my mind's stuck on them, and I know now I'm not going to get through my four chapters, and I don't get to check that box, and so that must mean I'm a failure. And you know what? That's okay, because here's the deal. The power of God's Word in our life is not dependent upon our understanding it. It is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It has the ability, writer in Hebrews 4 says, to divide us at the very inter, inner places of our soul. And so it's doing something even when I don't know that it's doing something. So I wrestle with it and I'll think about it and I'll be at a stoplight and I'll think, oh, I wonder what that means and I wonder what that means. And, and I might not ever know on this side of heaven. Or then I might know that three days later when I read something else and I go, oh yeah, because Scripture interprets Scripture. And I just keep at it and keep at it and God speaks to me and I hear from Him. can't believe it. I can't believe it. I heard from him. I commend it to you. I don't have time to read it. This thing John Piper wrote several years ago, 2007, and he, it starts off, you think it's going to be really charismatic. He said, I want to tell you about the morning I heard from God. I heard God speak. And he goes through the whole deal, and he's, you know, he's kind of got you out there, and you take the bait, and you're like, oh, John Piper's a charismatic. And 
which he is, but anyways, that's not the point of the deal. And he gets to the end of it, and he talks about all these things God spoke to him, all these things God told him, and he heard him clear his day, and he remembers it just like it was yesterday, and he gets to the very end, and, and I'll just read the last. He said, what effect did it have on me? Oh, it filled me with a fresh sense of God's reality. It assured me more deeply that he acts in history and in our time. It strengthened my faith that he is for me and cares about me and will use his global power to watch over me. Why else would he come and tell me these things? Then he said, it's increased my love for the Bible as God's very word because it was the, through the Bible that I heard these divine words. And through the Bible, I have experiences like this many mornings. The very God of the universe speaks on every page into my mind and into your mind. And we hear his very words. God himself has multiplied his wondrous deeds and thoughts towards us. None can compare with him. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told, so says the psalmist. And the best of all, they're available to all. And he says, if you'd like to hear the very same words I heard God speak when I was sitting on the couch in Minnesota, turn to Psalm 66, 5 through 7. That's where I heard him. Like, right? We'd hear. A couple other things. I, these are meager. That we would we would seek to stir our affections for God. I mean, we know this about relationships, right? Sometimes we have to stir our affections. That's why we have birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas and Hallmark, right? I mean, we need our affections stirred to remember, to stop for just a moment and remember, oh, yeah, that's what I have. Oh, yeah, that's the love we share. Oh, I can get so busy with all these other things to stop and have my affections stirred. Uh, John Cotton, this old Puritan in 1652, somebody asked him, he said, why, why do you read at night? Because, you know, they didn't have, like, lamps and stuff. You'd have to burn the candles, and he'd burn a candle by his bed, and that's pretty dangerous, I think. And they said, well, why would you read at night? And he said, because I love to sweeten my mouth with a piece of Calvin before I go to sleep. Now, for all you that think, well, that's it. That's the missing key. I need to go read some Calvin. That might not be so sweet for you. Let me just say it. I mean, it might, but, but there's something. We'd read some other folks that are on the same journey we're on, and God's gifted them with the ability to write some things that help stir our affections. And those, and those things aren't the Bible, but they help us to love the God of the Bible. Stir our affections. A couple others, and we've we got to pray, but think about, you know, there's a day, sometimes you just need to stop and think while you're sitting at that light. Instead of having road, ra road rage, why don't you have this thought? You know, one of these days, a day imminent, a day any moment, I will stand face to face before God. I'll meet Him face to face. Finally, I'd say this. You've got to take personal responsibility for your spiritual growth. 
can't be my responsibility. can't be your parents' responsibility or your spouse's responsibility. Now, that is not to say you can produce spiritual health. That is not to say you can transform yourself. That is not to say that you, in and of yourself, can do anything to grow spiritually except to cooperate with what Jesus is already doing in you. You are, if you're a believer, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And some t- Listen, we just need to stop and say, okay, God, what are you doing in my life here? As I get quiet and I meditate on His Word and I seek to stir my affections and what are you what are you doing in in my life oh and how can i cooperate with that listen you do that you you you'll start to see your marriage differently you you'll start to see your relationships differently you'll start to see your children differently and your work differently and yourself differently the god's at work But if it is only Sunday morning, if that's the only care for your soul is Sunday morning, you are hungry and will not be satisfied. You can come here and press your grapes all you want. It's not going to make any wine for you. You've got to take responsibility for that. Step into it. Well, that certainly was close to something to do, and I'm sorry for that. I really want you to walk out of here thinking about who you're to be. Because the truth is, everything that needs to be done has already been done. If you think about Micah 6, 8, what does it mean to, uh, to do what is just, to do justice? Jesus already did that. He did everything required for justice when He hung on the cross for you. To love kindness, His loving kindness towards you, unending, unbreaking, everlasting. Never leave you, never forsake you. And walking humbly with God, He did that. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on the cross for you. Christ in you, and you are in Christ. It has all been done. He said it is finished. God said he was satisfied. We, we get to live in that. So if you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. And as we do that, the guys will come forward. We'll sing one chorus here and we'll... Listen, if you're sitting here this morning and somehow you realize, you know what, it's been about religion for me. It's been about going through the motions. I didn't even realize it. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And here it is all about relationship. I don't know what to do with that. And I'll tell you this morning... Here's your response. It's not leave here and do better. It is sit here in this moment and believe. To believe. 
Jesus, the Son of God, came, lived 2,000 years ago, lived a life you could never live, but you're supposed to. You're accountable for it. And you're sentenced to death because you haven't. But that He stepped in, He took your place, He died your death, He took all of your sin, and it was put on Him. It was credited to His account. He died for it. And everything He is and all His righteousness and all His perfection and beauty and holiness, that gets credited to you. And how that, that transaction happens, this grace of God comes about by faith. Believing and trusting. And you can do that even in this moment as the Spirit draws your heart to His Son. Father, that's how we pray. That's what we pray. You have done it all. Micah 6.8, what are we to do? You've done it all in Your Son, Jesus, and we are the great beneficiaries. Just to leave here not with a list to do, but a, but a child to be. Father, we pray that you've been glorified and honored this morning and that we've exalted the name of your Son, Christ, in whose name we pray. We've done this by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.